Welcome to the RU Spiritual Podcast. I'm Jasmine Milani. And I'm Jenny Martin. We're two friends who met in a meditation teacher training course and have been talking about spiritual self-care ever since. And these discussions are why we're here. We'll open up the spiritual toolbox and break down spiritual practices in a simple way. We'll share the basics of astrology, meditation, Reiki healing, and so much more. Hopefully we can make some sense of spiritual hype words and phrases while helping you sift through the junk floating around the spiritual community so you don't wind up getting sucked into a cult or losing yourself completely. Let's get spiritual. (laughs) Um, All right. So today's topic is guru culture, um, which is kind of a big deal in um, the spiritual world. So let's get started with maybe just what the definition is of a guru. And the most common one is a teacher, but the term really does come from a religious or spiritual guide. Its origins are usually in Hinduism and other Eastern religions like Buddhism. And it really is about passing down wisdom. And in ancient times, you know, you would pass down your teachings to your disciples and then they would pass down the teachings. Um, in our Western culture, guru has become pretty overused. Um, you know, you could be a guru of cleaning or um, a guru of tech if you're really great. Uh, and I found that there's a big crossover in the self-help world um, where people are taking on this term of guru or um, or kind of ironically, unironically rejecting it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I also think there's a lot of um, leaders in self-development or spiritual communities that are giving themselves the name guru. And that we know is very problematic. Um, but I guess it's just, there's, different ways that it's being used. And I think one of the big things that we want to talk about is what is a good guru? (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense, but there are, we go ahead. We, well, I was going to bring up the example from our, um, as, as we mentioned before, and as we mentioned in our intro, Jenny and I met a world apart while taking a virtual um, meditation teacher training course. It was a, what is it, 400 hours or something? It was a pretty extensive course. And one of our first lessons, um, or one of the earlier lessons, as I recall, was about uh, the story of if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Where I think you and I were in the discussion group about this. And I was like, well, wouldn't we want to ask him some questions first and delve a little deeper? <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember the whole concept of the saying, if you meet the Buddha on the side of the road, kill him. Um, I don't remember that specific group discussion, unfortunately, but it seems like something you would have to say. Let's ask him some questions. And then my mind was going to, but we're in a meditation teacher training course. We shouldn't be killing anybody or anything. That doesn't sound like it works. Uh, So how will you explain what that phrase really means? Because even every time I I hear it, I have to like refresh myself like, oh, yes, this is the meaning behind it. I'm really glad to hear you say that, actually, because I had the same feeling. I was like, that seems so anti-Buddhist to kill the Buddha on the road. So um, but the the origin of it actually is a little it's actually pretty deep 
and simple and a little complicated. So I'm going to give a little history deep, lesson because we did deep look and simple and a little complicated. <laughs> I like it. And scene. <laughs> That's the end of my story. But um, and I'm just going to say for anybody listening, please forgive my voice. I'm recovering from an illness, but I don't want to miss this moment. So the origins of this and the, and we try to uh, cite all of our sources. So this is from a November 19th, 2021 article by Chris Pacheco in the Lion's Roar, which is a very well-known and respected Buddhist kind of online magazine. So the origin of the story is, um, I wonder if I should just read this. I'm going to read it. It's yeah. pretty short. Ninth century Chinese Buddhist monk Linji Ziwan famously told his disciples, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. These were, after all, devoted practitioners whose very livelihood most certainly revolved around the teachings of the Buddha and who've now been instructed to kill this very same Buddha if they happen to meet him. With further inspection, we can see that Linji Ziwan, I really hope I'm pronouncing that even in the realm of correctness, we'll put it in the was, not ref- <laughs> <laughs> was not referring to the literal Buddha, as in some physical incarnation of Siddhartha Gautama. He was using his disciples' own delusions as an opportunity to wake them up. There are often points in our practice, practice journey where we need to seek advice and experience from those further along the path. But within the teacher-student relationship can arise a point at which the student is susceptible to idolizing their teacher and thus foregoes their growth. And before we discuss that, if you were to Google um, this phrase, a, a book would come up, and it's a very uh, well-known book in um, psychotherapy written by Sheldon Kopp. And it's he relates it to his psychotherapy patients, and he says, Um, If you have a hero, look again. You have diminished yourself in some way. He goes on to say the most important things that each man must learn, no one else can teach him. Once he accepts this disappointment, he will be able to stop depending on the therapist, the guru, who turns out to be just another struggling human being. And that is really kind of the point, is that if you meet someone who says, I have all the answers, I can solve your problems like this, two troubling things can happen. One, you can, of course, be taken advantage of. And I think we're going to, you're going to kind of delve into that in a little way. Um, But the other thing is you turn over your personal power as far as your spiritual um, journey goes. And you almost take your focus off your own inner light and you project it out onto someone else's inner light. And that's not sustainable in my opinion. Um, The spiritual journey is very difficult in many ways. And one of the biggest ones is learning to trust yourself and to release yourself from the programming. And, And that can come from society, from your family, from whatever is influencing you that you need to be or think or believe or practice in a certain way. Now, obviously, you and I have learned a great deal from our gurus, right? From our teachers and in many different ways. I don't think that but I don't think that I even call anybody my <coughs> my guru though. I'm using the term as a right. teacher, but yes. But yeah, I think that's one of the things. And just to piggyback off of what you had said about if you meet somebody who says they can solve all your problems, it's not even just meeting somebody who says they can solve your problems or help you do this or whatever it may be. It's even if you put that that onto them. I think there are a lot of people who they're not necessarily meeting leaders or teachers or gurus or whatever that are necessarily telling them that they're their guru, but they are now calling them their guru. They're looking so much up to somebody else on this pedestal and that's where their power is diminishing. That's such a good point. I think that's really such a good point because it becomes really insidious because like the story says, if someone tells you I'm the Buddha, kill them. Like if someone straight up comes out and says, I have all the answers, immediately run the other way 
You know what I mean? Right. Or if you think um, somebody has all the answers, that's, you know, I think, maybe not so much kill them, but that's also a big red flags. That's the insidious part, isn't it? Right. That on your spiritual journey, it can feel like a relief to hand over what that's going to look like or what that's going to mean to someone else. Just tell me what to do. Well, tell me how to practice. That's the easy part. Yeah. Putting it exactly. all on somebody else to save you, somebody else to fix everything that you have going wrong when really that's the reason a lot of people avoid these kinds of practices is because it causes you to look within and it really sheds light on a lot of dark parts of yourself that many people don't want to see. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like, ain't that the truth though? You know, like I know on my spiritual journey, like one of the things that was very difficult for me was thinking I'm going to lose relationships and, you know, spoiler alert, I have, you know, um, Luckily, it didn't all happen at once. It was gradual. And I also created these new relationships. For example, our friendship that are in line more with who I authentically am. Right. And it also showed me the relationships that I've had that are willing to accept this part of myself that I didn't know would. So... Yeah, you bring up a really good point about you do need to step into the darkness uh, alone. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where a lot of people cling to some of these problematic communities can also be known as cults, but there's a lot of similar language and in how these problematic groups or leaders really cultivate their following. And, um, you know, the whole self-help, self-development arena is a breeding ground for power hungry people. And they all, they have the potential to develop large platforms and with the goal of making money and gaining this high profile status at the expense of vulnerable people that are just in search of a better life. I mean, if you look at even the Nexium cult, you know, that whole that whole shit show for lack of a better phrase um, started off, you know, uh, selling themselves as a personal development company offering executive success programs and a range of techniques for self-improvement. And yes, there was a claim that, you know, their main emphasis is to have people experience more joy in their lives. So everything about that is one, very similar to different healthy non-cult-like spiritual communities or groups that I've been either a part of or have dabbled in. Um, And then, you know, so it's just, it's interesting to look at how there's so much similar language around things that can go, um, similar language around groups that are seeking to help you live a better life and find more joy and become a better version of yourself And it can go awry very quickly. Well, I mean, I'm a little older than you. And um, as you're talking, and I know we're going to talk about some other people, but I always think about Jonestown. And that was started by Jim Jones. And it was really sold to people as this beautiful, inclusive community where there were going to be self-sustainable and there was no racial divides and they were going to build this beautiful new um basically they were going to kind of start fresh and so all of these people moved to Guyana they gave him all their money not too much longer and they're literally drinking Kool-Aid i mean that's really where the where the phrase comes from and they're dying and it's i think because that experience happened and was such a big deal when I was a young person, there was this instilled idea that like, not only is this maybe going to separate you from your family, your finances, but if you hand over your personal power to someone else, it, it could be, it could be deadly. So yeah. Beware the guru. <laughs> I mean, even as you're explaining that, you know, it, 
there's a lot of churches, a lot of religions that fall in suit with, you know, they are, that are dictating so many things about you. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone's religion. I'm just saying that there comes a point where I think you have to really make sure, am I thinking for myself? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to dive too much into really, you know, big names that drive me a little bonkers, but I do think there are people like Tony Robbins and Rachel Hollis that have a lot of very problematic pieces to their, whatever it is they're selling. (laughs) Um, And well, and I know we talked about this. I mean, Tony Robbins named the documentary about himself. (laughs) Um, I'm not your guru. And it's like, but aren't you trying to be (laughs) trying to be exactly. And, you know, I think, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of people that on one hand, and this is why, so this whole, this whole topic is even hard for me to talk about. And I think it's because I can look at it from some very objective viewpoints and there's really no hot take one way or another. Do I like Tony Robbins? No, not so much. Do I like Rachel Hollis? No, not so much. <laughs> um, and there's a, again, I'm, there's, you can go down internet rabbit holes or just rabbit holes in general, trying to, uh, learn more about them and all the different ways in which they are very problematic. However, there also are a lot of people who have really benefited from their leadership. And that's where it's hard for me to really, um, you know, take strong stands on certain things, because I do think that there are people who have platforms who have really been a gateway for a lot of uh, individuals that have been seeking something more within themselves. And, you know, I know I read uh, Gabby Berenstein's um, The Universe Has Your Back, and there's a lot of fluff language in there. And looking at it now, would it resonate with me so much? No. But at the time where I was in my life, when I read it, it really, it was a new thing for me. And it really opened the door to some different type, type, different ways of thinking. And Mm -hmm. I do think of certain things from that book that I, you know, that are a part of the way that I see the world or how I live. Um, So it's, it's a mixed bag for me, but there are a lot of things about, you know, even watching that I'm not your guru that really just kind of give me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. I think it's a lot of the the swaying with the arms in the air and the, the rah-rah mentality and, you know, great to have the energy, but I just also don't see anybody going really deep into their sagas in anything with, you know, there's a lot of that aggressive bullying mentality and the language that's being used. But at the end of the day, it's just a massive moneymaker. Those events they're, you know, week-long events or whatever it may be. There are these VIP um, VIP passes or whatever it is that you're attending the show as. And I think it's really easy for people to get sucked into that energy, for people to really feel really good while they're there. And that high just shoots so high. And then when that week's over and that community around them is gone they crash and that's where you lose your identity. That's where you lose who you are. And you only feel like I feel so good in this Tony Robbins week long expensive session, but who am I without that? And that, whether it's Tony Robbins, whether it's any other community, that's an issue. You need to know um, who you are regardless of how things who's around you, what is happening. And I, you know, I think maybe that was one of my bigger takeaways from that whole meditation teacher training course was that people can get just as caught up in the highs as they can the lows and really learning to release those good feelings along with any of the pain is just as important because you're clinging to all sorts of emotions that you can't control and that you need to be able to live in the here and now. I know that went on a little bit of a tangent, but, but I'm just saying that that's, I think one of the interesting parts about something like those high profile, you know, money-making 
events is that people seek that high and they keep coming back. But really, is anything changing in their day-to-day life? And that may have been what brought them there to begin with. They wanted to be right. a stronger individual. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there are a lot of people that are really benefiting in the day-to-day outside of those events. I would be curious to hear about those stories. Right. I mean, I, you when you were talking, so much stuff came up for me, you know, and like spirituality and self-help have this has been kind of moved together, but they're not the same. And you can use techniques, um, you know, like manifesting. I know that's a tough word for both of us. Whereas in the spiritual world, especially if you're pretty deep into it, like I am, manifesting means basically bringing the the internal external it basically means being able to express what you're feeling and thinking and see it in your physical world but they the the self-help movement seems to have kind of um taken for example i'm just using manifestation as an example because i know it's something we don't want to talk no, about no, too no. much and- I, I think it's perfect here because that is a big buzzword yeah that's used with these uh some of these individuals um and i I like manifesting everybody just want to put that out there. Really love <laughs> manifesting. It's just the overuse of the word. <laughs> and and it's not just the overuse of the word, but there are, they sort of teach these kind of uh, quick fixes and that's not how it necessarily works. And when you do try to uh, authentically, you know, manifest your life in a certain way, it will not, probably go A, B, C, D, E. It it will come to you the way it is best for your highest good. We can talk about that later. But what the self-help people do is they deliver those those quick hits that make you feel like you understand and they make you feel like, you know, and you, and like you said, we, and I, I happen to believe that we as people, one of the reasons that there's all these self-help people is because humans gravitate towards that communal experience. We want to share concerts. We want to share um, whatever it is for you, church or synagogue or music or whatever it is. We as a species long for community. And so they create these environments where, you know, and, you know, there's also this falsity that if you pay more for something, it's worth more. And boy, do they cash in on that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I got the $7,000 four day experience. I'm an, I'm an enlightened, I'm an enlightened being. <laughs> um, and I, and, you know, I use the word dangerous a lot because I, I do think that our spiritual side and our spiritual soul does need to be a little protected, especially at the beginnings. But, um, okay. So now I'm tangenting, but I, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to come back around. So the, when I see, cause we tried not to talk too much about this episode so that we could bring it together. But I, I told you before, take Tony Robbins <laughs> because I have a lot of issues with what he does. But, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize that so much of what happens is basically kind of a trauma response. So Tony Robbins had a troubled childhood, difficult relationship with his mother. Basically, at like 17, became an assistant to a motivational speaker and kind of never looked back. I think it's so obvious that this is a person that's been seeking um, meaning and community and connection. And I really looking at his soul, like wonder if he's really found that or if he just keeps creating these experiences where he can feel and they get bigger because, you know, it's just like it's it is a high and just like any high you need more and you need it more often and you need it bigger. And maybe the numbers in your bank account make you feel special. I do want to say one thing before I, before I take down Tony Robbins (laughs) and I don't mean to, Um, he has a charity that does a lot of good. And so just like anybody else, he is a complex human being and he does 
try to help people. I do think he's not a charlatan. I believe that in his heart, he thinks he is doing good. However, (laughs) I think what he does is very problematic. I think it's dangerous. And I think exactly what you were saying, people get this high, they think they've got something sustainable that really matters. And then it goes away when they leave. And maybe they try to keep generating it in their MLM companies or whatever they're doing. But the truth is, if you don't have a foundation for your own spiritual practice, none of this is going to work. It's not sustainable. And that is why it's very important, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, to stay connected to your own soul light. And if you can do that, you can take in all the information. You can, you can glean from these people and you can take things from them and you can learn and, and you still have that genuine connection to your own spiritual path, which is different than anyone else's. The problematic thing, I think, is that these self-help people who are not spiritual teachers, I mean, Rachel Hollis, her dad was a preacher. If you ever watch her speak, she's fantastic. You know, she really is a fantastic speaker. But if you listen to what she says, there's very little real foundation there. So it makes me kind of feel bad for them. No, I I, I know exactly what you're saying. And I think that's one of the things that was really our whole purpose in even starting this podcast is highlighting that things are not so black and white. And um, I do want to circle back to how you talked about uh, no one's spiritual journey is going in a linear fashion, A, B, C, D, E. Um, I think that's very important. I do want to say also that I think um, it's very interesting for us to talk about this in terms of, you know, keep your own center point, your center guidance, don't lose yourself within all of this. But looking at the individuals that are seeking out um, and finding themselves at a Tony Robbins or a Rachel Hollis event. And I don't mean to pick on just both of those two, but in general, there are many, many different, anybody who's out there looking for a little more purpose in their life and a little more meaning. I think it's really hard to put yourself in those shoes of, I don't know. I mean, thankfully I have never had to be in that type of position but I also don't know what it's like to really know what that means to listen to yourself. And if you're in a point or a place in your life where you're seeking out some guidance, does that make sense? It does make sense. And it really is one of the, the biggest hurdles to get over, you know, to listen to that clear, quiet voice within what, what do you really feel? Like, does, have you ever been in a situation or even maybe in your earlier days of kind of dabbling in spiritual, the spiritual realm at all? Or, and I don't, I, I, I personally don't like to keep saying spiritual journey, spiritual healing, <laughs> all spiritual, this, that, whatever. But like in those earlier times where you were really kind of less self-assured, less understanding who your authentic self is, were you ever encountering a group or a class or a a way of living that like shot up red flags for you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you when you say that, it really reminds me about kind of how I first started getting into Eastern religions. I had a good friend whose family, um, practice with an organization called City Yoga. They're great. And and when I say this story, this is all my opinion. I have nothing bad to say about it. And it's a, their practice is basically um, around chanting and chanting is extremely powerful and doing it in a group is extremely powerful. And there's a lot of different ways it works, but one of the ways it can kind of work is you occupy your thinking mind with the mantra And so it kind of helps to unleash your unconscious mind and and to bring you to a different form of meditation. It's really cool. 
and they have a lineage um, and their current um, leader is a young woman. Well, she's probably my age um, named Guru Mai. And I had the opportunity, I'm going to say this was probably around 1996, 97 to go to their ashram in New York. And this is my first ashram experience. So um, I really didn't know anything about it. Of course, I went alone. <laughs> and um, and we can talk about when we do something on retreats and ashrams, I'll talk a little bit more about it. It was very beautiful. But the uh, one of the most sacred times to chant is 4 a.m. And what was very cool about going to the ashram at this time is Guru Mai was going to be there. So this is like, I don't know who your favorite rock star is, but this is like Mick Jagger is going to be there. So I was doing the meditations and doing the seva and like um, I was doing all the things, but like everybody else, I wanted to see the guru. So I woke up at four, was dark and I'm in a shared room. You know, I get all quiet, get all ready. Um, I don't remember if I took a bus or walk there, but I went to this very beautiful um, meditation. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a temple, it's like one of their special meditation houses. And I get my seat and I'm so excited because she's going to be there. And she did come. And of course, <laughs> I had picked the one seat where there's literally a pillar between us. So I didn't see her at all. Now I could hear her chanting, which was beautiful. And, and, and meditating at 4 a.m. is a really beautiful time. It's a very magical time. Um. So I didn't see her then. As the weekend goes on, there's all these moments where, oh, there's Guru Mai, there's Guru Mai, there's Guru Mai. And there are tons of people about around her. So I never actually saw her. I would see the cronies around her, um, but I never actually saw her. And it made me kind of question why that was so important to me. And also that maybe it wasn't an accident that I wasn't able to see her or connect with her. It really kind of informed me of the fact that she's a young woman like me, surrounded by all these people. It humanized her in a way that I think was really great for me at that time in my spiritual journey. Because I thought, God, like, doesn't she just want to like sit down, have a cup of coffee doesn't she want to have this experience of just being able to walk alone in this beautiful, beautiful place? I felt bad for her. And all this is happening in my head. Like, I have no idea what her experience is. But that experience kind of has informed all of my other experiences that they're just, we're just humans and we're just doing the best we can. She has grown up in this culture with these teachings, literally at the feet of her teacher. So yeah, we're not the same. <laughs> she has a lot more understanding than I do, but she's just a person. Right. And that's so that experience. Yeah. That experience has kind of informed everything. I don't put anybody on a pedestal and we've talked a little bit about Ama too. And I know we're going to talk about that another time, but it's not always the guru's fault. <laughs> Well, that's it's a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's what's interesting. What you said about Tony Robbins and his upbringing is that he's he's just as much. I mean, I can't speak for him. I don't know what he's thinking or feeling, but it sounds like, as you said, he's just as much a part of being caught up in his whole racket as all of the people there. It's just on two different platforms um you know he's totally i mean i don't thing. think yeah which is sad it, it's kind of sad yeah <laughs> because i don't think a lot of what he's teaching has changed i don't think it's particularly original it doesn't get very deep it doesn't and i I don't know. I, again, I think that there are people who have really benefited from him and I think maybe they've gone on to dig much deeper. And this was just like, you know, that Gabby Bernstein book, just a gateway, which is great. Um, 
I think it's interesting to think about how, and maybe it's because I didn't start watching any, well, no, that's a lie. I, you know, I knew who Tony Robbins was years ago and it just always rubbed me the wrong way. I just, I never, I always had pushback. And I think a lot of it had to do with the delivery of how his messages were, you know, being spoken and just the loud, aggressive group, you know, cheering everything about that just really turned me off. But I think that's also something to be said for everything that we're talking about. What, what does your body do when you're around these people? You know, what, how do you physically react in certain situations and does it feel good? Does it feel like, Hey, something's a little off here. Even if they keep telling me it's not, I think that's an important thing to listen to. And I think it's, that's where the, just even spending some quiet time with yourself to know how you step back. What, how do you feel about this? Does it feel okay? Am I spending all of my money to do something that does it feel right? Does it not? I mean, I know even when it came down to the meditation teacher training, I was out of a job during COVID for 15 months, not the way that I probably should have been spending my money However, it really felt like something that I needed to do. And I felt really good about it. And I'm glad that I did. And it all worked out. And it was amazing. I do think that that's something that people need to really think about. Because I do think a lot of people spend a lot of money on things. And that maybe they, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just am trying to say that you should never really be going broke over and over again to better yourself. It's, it's not necessary. I mean, and that is before we finish up with, with um, these self-help leaders, these self-help gurus, self-proclaimed gurus, I just want to say where it gets really dangerous to me is in those moments where everybody's heightened in this heightened experience and all of a sudden they zero on one person and they're like, I'm going to solve your problem right here, right now. I don't think that's good. <laughs> I think that's bad. So I think the other thing that is so important about what you just said is like, don't ignore your red flags. If, if anything, there's no like once in a lifetime opportunity. You know what I mean? If you can't afford it, it's not right for you right now. It's just not. And that's okay. Don't put your, you don't need to go into financial stress. I mean, Classes at the den where we took our meditation teacher training, I don't know what they are now, but they used to be $10. You can afford to take a class. There's a lot of resources available to you at the library. Um, there are some other great podcasts. There are a lot of ways to learn. Do not ignore the red flags of this doesn't feel right, or I feel uncomfortable here, or I can't afford it, or I'm not sure this is right for me right now. Listen to yourself and then the voice of your true, what your true nature is, your true calling is, well, once you start listening more, it will, you'll start hearing more. Yeah. Um, so I think that's super important. Like, don't go broke for, don't go broke for any, you know, so-called business opportunity or masterclass or it's just not worth it. I think that kind of goes back to um, this whole thing, not, you know, everything about your life and your path not being linear. I know that a lot of things can seem really glittery and sparkly and this is really what I need to do to solve, you know, my problem or find my purpose or help my business grow, whatever it is. I think that there are once you really start listening to yourself, things show themselves to you in a way that you've never expected. And I think everything that I've done for personal growth in the last few years, had I done any of them few years before that, it would have been jumping into the deep end. And I think that's, I think that's important because I think that's how, as you said, things don't go A, B, C, D, E, they start to show themselves to you in a way that makes sense. There is a time mm -hmm. and a place for when this has come into your life, this 
uh, different healing modality, this different teacher, this different opportunity. Totally. And what I tell my clients or people that I know that are feeling this awakening happen is follow the breadcrumbs. See what's see what's popping up for you. And, you know, like there have been spiritual teachers that I've been like, oh, I, I think I want to work with this person or spiritual coaches and I'll have like one or two sessions with them. And I'm like, not for me, but I learned something from that. Or um, all of a sudden I'll be like, wow, this keeps coming up for me. You know, like um, <laughs> the only thing I can think of right now is like there's this whole stages of a woman's life and it's like, I'm in my hag phase, but that keeps coming up. So what does that mean? And what is that informing me about? Or, you know, just follow the breadcrumbs and trust yourself enough to know that you're not going to give away your personal power. You're not going to give away your autonomy. Um, and you're only going yeah, to grow stronger with, uh, yeah. with being able to listen to yourself as well. Yeah. And also I think so it's so important to allow yourself to change. If this thing was, if this type of meditation was working for you at the beginning and it's not working anymore, that's okay. Try something different. Maybe you'll go back to that thing. Maybe you'll incorporate it in your new thing you're doing. You know, you can change. It's not static. And that's kind of awesome, you know, to remember that we're constantly changing and we can grow and change in our spiritual practice as well. So yeah, don't give away your personal power and and honor the guru within you. Give them as loud a voice as any external voice. We have a lot of innate wisdom in us. We just have been taught not to listen to it for whatever reason. And on that note, didn't you have a lovely shaman Dura yes. quote that you wanted so, to? Yes, I do. And so... um Again, Shaman Durek is, uh, he's a very well-known shaman. Um, I have read his book, Spirit Hack, uh, Spirit Hacking. I think it's called Spirit Hacking, which I think is very good. Um, I, I just want to say like, when I quote him or anybody else, I'm not holding them up as a spiritual leader. I just found that like what he said about this was so, um, important and it kind of breaks it all down. So uh, Which is just one it. last thing I want to add. I think that's yeah, please a, do. A, I think that's a a really good point to even just bring up that regardless of who these quote unquote famous leaders, spiritual gurus, whatever they may be called, regardless of what all they say, what all they do, whether you personally resonate with them or not, I do think it's important to recognize that you can still take things away from people and change your mind about them and move in new directions without devaluing something very wonderful that you did take away from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so this is the quote from um, Shaman Durek's book, Spirit Hacking. Shamans are not gurus and shamans sure as hell aren't perfect. So many spiritual teachers make it seem like they have it all figured out, like they're these higher luminaries of the perfected human embodiment who never trip, never fart, and never get down on themselves. It's mm -hmm. bullshit. If you're in a biological spacesuit, which is what I call the body, then your shit's getting fucked up on some level. I mean, we're living in duality, peeps. That means that we are dealing with real darkness and real challenges, all of us. Sure, I might be more adept at dealing with the darkness and life's challenges because I have all these shamanic tools to support me, not to mention the spirits and ancestors. But that doesn't mean I don't get affected by the same challenges that afflict the rest of humanity. It doesn't mean I don't get angry or that I don't ever act out of character or that I don't engage in patterns that run counter to my best interest. I'm just as human as everyone else. But people love to worship their golden calves. And so they are quick to place shamans on pedestals. It's really annoying. If you're going to put me on a pedestal, then you better climb onto your own version so that we can see eye to eye, because I'm not going to strain my neck to talk down to you. Either show up as my equal or don't show up at all. I'm not here to be your guru. Be your own damn guru. And, you know, that. he has colorful language. I do, too. He has colorful language. But if there's one takeaway from this episode, as far as what we wanted to convey is, you know, the truth within and really listen to that. 
and don't don't give it away to anyone who says that they're the Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's uh, move into our. Do you have a crystal for us today, or what do you have? Do you have? Do you want to? Okay, so I have a bunch. So I want you to pick a number between one and four for your crystal corner. I'm going to pick number three. Ooh! All right, crystal corner. I'm never going to stop doing that. <laughs> so you picked the rainbow moonstone, and I was telling you that my this is not sponsored, but my favorite crystal shop in LA is called Open Eye Crystals. It's on Pico, and one of the cool things they do is they'll do an intuitive pick. So you tell them like about how much money you want to spend, and they'll pick some crystals for you. So she picked for me the rainbow moonstone. And I told you it's very little and it's white with little black. I imagine if it was bigger, it would have more colors in it, but this is the stone of the high priestess keeper of the feminine mysteries, which I have few aids in moon manifesting, enhancing one's intuition brings joy and optimism allows one to overcome obstacles. And it corresponds with your third eye and your crown. And it's good for hormonal shifts. So one of the things that she recommended, I don't know if, I don't know. Do you do this? Do you ever put crystals in your bra? I don't. Okay. (laughs) Excuse me. Sometimes I don't have pockets. So when I'm doing sessions, I'll put crystals in my bra or if I'm going somewhere, uh, put them in my bra. Um, I'm not the first person to do this. No, I've heard about it. I just have not done it. You just have to remember when you're taking off your clothes and things start flying around to find your crystals. But what she recommends doing with this, I'm going to do it right now since we, since I have my hair in a bun, is she recommends sticking them in your bun near your crown chakra. So I'm going to do that and I'll, we'll report back. Please um, do. But it's a really, it's a really pretty stone and um, it's good for, you know, we're in Scorpio season right now. So that corresponds a lot with the mysteries of the moon. So I will let you know how it goes. What was the name of that crystal again? It's called a ruby. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not. It's called a rainbow moonstone. Rainbow moonstone. I like it. Rainbow. I do love moonstones. I have to say I had a, I gave my tattoo artist a black moonstone. I do like moonstones. So what is your cool shit segment? So my cool shit is, um, I mean, I could recommend this podcast all day long, but Den Talks podcast, which is how we ended up meeting each other because Den Meditation Studio is who we did our teacher training through. Um, I, living on the other side of the country, discovered this podcast before I knew anything about the meditation studio and fell in love with the owner and everything she had to say so many beautiful conversations in every episode and they're all very different. Um, But one that I really did enjoy, I enjoyed them all, but one that I thought was a a good one to recommend here today is with Shannon LGO. And the episode is titled trusting your truth. Um, It is from season one, episode 157. And I just loved everything that this conversation talked about. And it was all about um, talking about Shannon's book, uh, Trust Your Truth, which serves as a guide for finding your life's purpose and healing self-doubt. So I think that's very on brand with everything that we talked about today is really learning to trust yourself. So, and then I go on to recommend every other single episode of Den Talks. We are big fans of the den meditation. I don't think they have a brick and mortar anymore in Los Angeles, but they have uh, quite a extensive catalog of classes online that you can take um, uh, virtually, but how do you say in the moment? Live or on demand. Live or on demand. Thank you very much. They do a lot of great classes. Um, I received some of my Reiki attunements there. And I can't recommend them enough as far as, you know, when this whole conversation, we're talking about ways to kind of learn to trust yourself. I highly recommend looking at their course list and seeing if anything seems interesting to you and maybe trying that class. I have found all of the teachers to be pretty great. And 
whether I resonate with like you're a breathwork Kundalini person and I'm more of the, you know, a psychic Reiki person. And then we both love the guided journeys that Tal, um, that Jenny was talking about Tal Rabinowitz does. So there's something for everybody. And, um, and this is just the one source that we found, I'm sure locally to you, or there are other ones, but I really can't recommend the the den enough. I think I'm pretty pretty sure we'll be talking about them quite a bit in many episodes. So I'm sure. And hopefully Tal will be a guest. It's going to happen. I'm manifesting it. (laughs) all right so um you know i adore you have you done your spiritual self-care for the day or do you have a plan to um i have a plan to so today um i planned to uh do one of those guided journey meditations from that catalog (laughs) that on-demand catalog i missed thursday's uh session and i'm going to log in and check that one out what about you oh man I might do that too. Um, I am, I have to refresh my um, altar. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to clean her up. Got some beautiful red roses for Scorpio season. I'm going to probably bring out um, some of my crystals. I, you know, with Halloween right around the corner, um, when, I don't know when this will be released, but this is where we're at right now. It's October 29th, 2022. Um, I don't correspond with it as much, like, you know, the spookiness of it, but I really do like Dio de los Muertos. So this is a time when I'm going to get out my pictures of the people that I love that have passed and put them on my altar and light some candles for them and just really remember them. And um, yeah, I'll probably spend some time just remembering the people that I've loved and lost. Beautiful. Yeah, it's going to be good. Just a little light, a little lightness in my day, but I love them. So, and it is nice, you know, feeling like you can connect with people, even if they're not in the physical world world anymore. It's a nice thing. All right. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find us? I am going to tell you where we can find us. Um, we are on Instagram. Are you spiritual? Our Gmail is are you spiritual podcast. And I think that's it for now. You can find us where you found us on all platforms and let us know if you have any tops, uh, topics you want us to cover. Topics, questions, um, delve deeper and just remember, be your own damn guru. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the RU Spiritual Podcast and joining us on this journey Please like, subscribe, share with friends, and write us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any questions, thoughts, or episode topic ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at ruspiritualpodcast at gmail.com. 